All right, so welcome to the first CoinPod podcast by Burency. Um, Burency is the top-rated and most trusted crypto exchange servicing the Middle East. Burency gives you anytime, anywhere access to buy and sell the most popular cryptocurrencies. Start your trading journey today at Burency.com and also check out the Burency token. It's an ERC-20 token you can get on Uniswap, Burency, KuCoin. Um, there's a lot of promising things with this project and the team is really excited to share with you um, on this podcast and also if you follow them on social media and they have also a lot of communities on Reddit, uh, Telegram, etc. Uh, so without further ado, let's just dive right in. So uh, we have our hosts Mimi and Ali. Ali, uh, you just came back from Bitcoin conference in Miami. It seems yeah. like Miami is um, kind of turning into the cryptocurrency hub. Yeah. I like there's so much going on over there. So how how'd it go? Like what's the sentiment like? I know that we're kind of in a a bear market, I guess. Um, I guess that's debatable, but like yeah. how was it how is it over there? It was wild, is probably the best way to describe it. There was so much pent up demand for something mm -hmm. like this. We haven't had uh, a conference or an event since COVID started. And uh, even though the prices are down from the tops, they're significantly higher from the last big conference or event. So the just sheer amount of euphoria and seeing all the people you haven't seen in multiple years, it was, it was a really good time. Um, the environment was cool. The people were cool. The speakers were great. But more than anything, just seeing everyone that you haven't seen in months, it was a, it was a cool experience. I think the number is... I saw everywhere from 20,000 to 50,000 people. Wow. Wow. And I can't, I mean, I, I didn't count, but no. everything was packed. Every restaurant was packed. Wow. Every event was packed. Their conference was packed. It was um, it was a sight. It really was and an experience. Mm, that sounds exciting. Um, what is, what's the conference about? This specific conference is about the Bitcoin ecosystem. So anything related to Bitcoin. Um, but there was a lot of bleeding from Ethereum and other assets as well. Mm. So some of the vendors included things like Bitcoin ATM companies, um, Bitcoin custodians, mm. uh, Bitcoin fund managers, um, mm. Bitcoin so payment processors, Bitcoin wage processors, you want to get paid in Bitcoin. So all these people have been building through the bull market and the bear market, not just the coins, people who are actually building infrastructure. solutions. Yeah, the picks and axes of the ecosystem. Um, and a lot of that stuff isn't commonly seen. You know, people talk about the price of Bitcoin. People talk about trading Bitcoin. They talk about the exchanges. Mm -hmm. But very few people know about all the different layers and pieces of infrastructure that create all right. this value right. that we can build upon. So, um, so, so Bitcoin is, 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 a, is an asset or a store of value, right? A digital yeah. store of value. Whereas like Ethereum and the other projects are more utility tokens. Um, can you talk about like the difference between... A, a fiat currency and an asset like sure. Bitcoin. I think a really good place to start is um, most people don't fully understand Bitcoin. A lot of people talk about Bitcoin. A lot of people, some people trade Bitcoin and um, very few people understand it fundamentally. And it's because there's a lot of people out there that try to make it more complex than it really is. There are those in the community who want to seem smart, smarter than the average person and they make it more complex. But it's actually very simple. Partially because there's no like figurehead for Bitcoin, right? It's decentralized. It's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah, you know, right. anyone can be a voice um, mm. and not all voices are created equal. Yeah. I like to really 
simple simplify as much as I can. And to understand Bitcoin, you got to understand what a Bitcoin does, what a, what a bank does. Where do you bank, Mimi? At uh, Chase. Chase Bank is one of the most common banks in the United States. Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. And most people don't even understand what a bank does. A bank yeah. really has one job and one job only. They maintain a ledger. And what's a ledger? A ledger is just a series of debits and credits. So when Mimi wants to send one unit, we'll call it $1 to Ayman, the bank will take a look at its ledger and we'll debit Mimi's account. We'll make sure that Mimi has more than one, debit it, and then we'll credit Ayman's account. There's no actual money moving. There's no one in the back moving dollars around in a safe. It's just a, a big spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Some banks maintain it on behalf of people. Some banks maintain it on behalf of corporations. And some banks are large enough central banks. They maintain it on behalf of entire governments. Mm. But that's really all they do. Their main job is to maintain this ledger. They have a lot of services on top of that. They charge us a lot of fees for maintaining this ledger, right? So whether it's wiring fees or ATM fees or credit card fees or lending fees, whatever it is, but it all starts with the maintenance of this ledger. They are a central authority that maintains a ledger on your behalf, on Ayman's behalf, on my behalf, on company's behalf. What Satoshi Nakamoto did, he said, what if we take this power, this absolute power that these banks have over us, they, can, they, they decide what transactions happen. They decide what um, gets written into the ledger, what gets deleted from the ledger, how to go back in time and change something that was already written in the ledger. Um, and they can set the rules. And oftentimes those rules are predetermined for them by whatever government and jurisdiction that manages that bank. Satoshi Nakamoto wanted to build he, she, they, we don't know who they are, wanted to build a system where we take that ledger that Chase had and we create a copy of that ledger and we give a copy to Mimi, we give a copy to Ayman, we give a copy to Ali, and we say any transaction that needs to happen now, we were all going to write this transaction. So that same example where Mimi had sent one unit, one dollar, we'll call it one Bitcoin now, the three of us would take a look at our ledger. The three of us would confirm that Mimi's account, we don't even know who Mimi is. It's mm -hmm. just an account number. Mimi's account has more than one. And we all almost simultaneously debit one unit from Mimi's account and credit one unit to Ayman's account. That is what Bitcoin is. That is the Bitcoin blockchain. That is the Bitcoin ledger. It's a decentralized ledger. Banks are centralized ledger. Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger. You can build so many cool variations and variables and infrastructures and layers on top of that, but you have to understand the core, and that is what Bitcoin so is. So it is a, is it essentially a program? Um, or because it's a, there's an algorithm for, for mining Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. right? And there's, an, uh, there's I guess, um, a system for taking the transactions and then yeah. adding it to the ledger. So is, it, is there a flexibility in terms of how that's done, or is it like there's a specific rule set and you have to follow those rules to play Play the game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, of course it's a program, right? It's a, We've really simplified it down to a spreadsheet. Right. But it, it's not the most complex program in the world. It's uh, There are other more complex programs, like Ethereum you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is pluses and minuses at its core. Plus one Mimi, minus one Ayman, plus Got one it. Ali, minus it's one. It's very simplified. It is, it is very simple. And okay. and the, the language is... Um, is, is very simple by design to, to maintain that. It is a, a solution for reserves. It is a solution for maintaining value. And there are people that are trying to build other unique, interesting things on top of it. So let's talk about, so, so some of the pros of Bitcoin is that um, one is first, it's mo first mover advantage, right? Yeah. Um, the second is that it's not under like insane active development relative to like Ethereum or, or some of these other projects where there's, there's soft forks and hard forks. Um, so does Bitcoin like have a team? Yeah. Um, or is it mostly like uh, like 
subgroups of teams that are building stuff on top of it. Yeah. Like the Lightning Network, as far as I know, is, is layer two, right? Sure, sure. So that's one of the common misconceptions where people mm -hmm. don't think that there's a lot of development happening on Bitcoin. Right. So there's a tremendous amount of development happening uh, both by Bitcoin core groups, um, fringe groups, wallet developers. There's an unbelievable amount. It's just potentially not as loud or not as visible because not every one of these projects has its own coin or its own mm -hmm. um, telegram group. This is the infrastructure that's and this being includes built. the core Bitcoin, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's even there are specific developers that get grants. There are companies, Square, Tesla. There are people who are actively involved in the ecosystem who benefit from um, Bitcoin. Anyone can can write code, and mm -hmm. as long as the miners or the people who maintain this ledger agree that this is a good additional benefit or some change that is valuable, it can get implemented across the entire network. What does it mean that it's a it's a core Bitcoin group? Yeah. So um, when I say core, oftentimes that refers, that refers back to the original Bitcoin. So there's Bitcoin, there's Bitcoin Cash, there's mm -hmm. Bitcoin uh, SV. Um, Bitcoin Core is the um, original node, the, the original blockchain. And there mm -hmm. are those who develop specifically for that blockchain because it has a specific set of rules. And there are those who develop on top of Bitcoin Cash and there are those mm -hmm. that develop on top of Bitcoin SV. Um, what, what makes that decentralized, though? Because if there is one group of, of people that are constantly developing and, mm -hmm. and adding things to Bitcoin, how, how is it decentralized? That's a then? really good question. It's because anyone can write code and publish it and get, uh, get comments on it and anyone can look at it. It's all open source. But just because you write the code, it doesn't get implemented. Hmm. So anyone, doesn't matter who you're affiliated with, it doesn't matter if people know who you are, you can write a code, you can... Um, make the proposal, and the community will decide if this code should exist as part of the new set of Bitcoin rules. So how and, does the voting work exactly? Um, mining hash rate, right? So whoever has the, um, you need consensus. You need over 51% of those that maintain this ledger on our behalf to agree that this is a valid change that is going to be beneficial. Think about the game theory of it. These miners who maintain this ledger, Mimi, Ayman, Adi, they commit a lot of resources into hardware and electricity to maintain this. But they are incentivized in Bitcoin in two ways. They're incentivized in something called the block reward. So right now they get 6.25 Bitcoin approximately every 10 minutes, plus some transaction fees that happened in the past 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. They are incentivized to make sure that that value that they are accruing grows. Right? That's, that's their incentive mechanism. Mm -hmm. So when someone proposes a change... Um, they are the guardians of that value, and they were, you know, if if they believe that that change is going to make the value increase, they're more likely to do it. If they believe that change is going to make the value decrease, they're not likely to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's the decentralization mechanism. It's a beautifully thought out process of game theory. Um, those who have invested the most resources stand to lose the most. They are the most likely to guard that code and only implement what they believe is. So right. then, so so let's say. Uh, is there like a Bitcoin.com where there's proposals put forth and then people vote on it? Or is it, you know, like how do people or how do miners find out about um, a proposed change in the in the Bitcoin code? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I actually, I actually don't know. Mm. I, I don't know if it's a website. I imagine a lot of it's happening on GitHub. It's probably similar to because Ethereum has EIP, which is Ethereum. Yeah. What is it? Improvement protocol. Improvement Proposals. Proposal. Yeah. yeah. And then. And then they have a website where yeah. people can vote based off of their, I guess, the uh, how much governance they have. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. That's mm. a really good question. Something we should look into. I, I, I'm, I'm confident that most of it happens on Twitter. 
yeah. so crypto Twitter is, <laughs> you yeah. know, you can publish anything and then you yeah. see how the, you see how one, how the community reacts yeah. and then how the miners react. Right. And not always are those two in sync. Right. There mm -hmm. are right, some, because of conflict of interest. There are some conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. So, so what else makes up that Bitcoin community? So miners is one group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The developers is another group. Yes. And then the users. Right. Okay. So the, the people who are actually, the yeah, the people who are actually interacting with the coins, whether you're using them as an investment mechanism, mm -hmm. whether you're using them as a, a remittance mechanism, you know, sending money overseas, whether you're using it as a hedge against inflation, um, anyone who actually purchase creates a wallet, right? Once you create a wallet address on this ledger, you have now become a user. And you also have a say because you can vote with your dollar, right? If you like what's happening and you purchase more, value increases. If you don't like what's happening and you don't purchase or you sell, value decreases. Mm. So there isn't essentially one group that has more power than the other. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's it, it seems to me that the three or four entities that you know, all of the ecosystem has a pretty equivalent amount of power. Mm -hmm. If the miners all decided, you know, tomorrow that um, we're no longer going to take 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, we're going to increase that to 100 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. They could do that. They have that power. But it would, mm -hmm. it would require a lot of the miners to collude. You, you need 51% of them, but they do that. But the problem is the check on that is the users could decide uh, we're no longer interested in mm -hmm. this community or this project. Mm -hmm. So there's a check on that balance. There's a check on that power. The same with the developers. The developers could say, hey, we're, we're making this proposal. It's really good. It's going to benefit just the users. Mm -hmm. The miners could say, no, we're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. So there is a... Self-reinforcing. Yeah. Game, game theory. The game theory is so powerful within Bitcoin. It's so pure. It's a true free market. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, what, that's what attracts a lot of people to it. Yeah, there's, there's so there's a few topics from what you just said that are, that are really interesting to me. One is the free market thing. So because Bitcoin has kind of cryptocurrency in general has brought the debate like libertarianism versus um, you know more cons more more uh, democratic I guess uh, values. Where um, how much regulation do we really need? Um, I don't know if we want to get to that now. But my other question is. You mentioned how like a lot of developing nations are using Bitcoin, and and I think we we spoke before about your Bitcoin ATMs being really popular, especially in areas where there are more people that are I guess underbanked. Yeah. So my question is, if Bitcoin is great as a store of value, but it's not great as necessarily a transaction network at, on smaller scales, right? Sure. So why is it that why is it that these people are flocking to Bitcoin? when they can't necessarily send, like, you know, you can Venmo somebody a dollar or two dollars. Mm -hmm. In Bitcoin, that would cost you like eight dollars sometimes, yeah. right? So what's what's the appeal for these people? Yeah, the, the ones who are using it as a remittance mechanism? Well, which people I guess that's one use case, right? So if yeah. you're trying to send money overseas, this yeah. is an amazing way to do it, especially if it's significant enough where the fee is yeah. less than like MoneyGram's fee or something yeah, so like that. that you you kind of answered the question, right? Uh -huh. So it, it is greater than zero. There is fees, and it's at times when the network is congested, those fees can be very high, and it doesn't really work well in in micro transactions or small transactions. Mm -hmm. um, the the example I like to use is uh, I like to equate Bitcoin to gold. And that's mm -hmm. something that I've always believed in. You wouldn't ever expect to walk into a Starbucks or a bagel shop, a bagel shop with a, a bar of gold and like chip off a piece of gold <laughs> mm -hmm. to pay for something, right? right? It's it's very difficult to fractionalize. Bitcoin mm -hmm. is actually easy to fractionalize, um, but you have to think of 
all the power and all the computing power and energy that went into confirming that transaction and making it immutable, that is a very powerful transaction that cannot be changed. Not every single transaction needs that level of security and needs that um, absolute finality to it. Right. Smaller transactions don't. If you're doing a large transaction, perhaps you want that finality and you want to make sure that it can't be changed and it becomes immutable. Um, that's where the layer two solutions come, right? Not everything needs to be written directly into the um, ledger immediately. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of, and we'll we'll be getting into those more as yeah. the podcast goes on. Is the Lightning Network decentralized as well, or is it? What is the Lightning Network? The Lightning Network is a layer two solution, and I know that uh, we haven't gotten into it yet. Layer one is Bitcoin. If you write a transaction directly into Bitcoin, Mimi minus one, Mimi plus one, Amen, that's layer one. That requires consensus of miners. It requires multiple confirmations. It requires a lot of computational power and has a fee associated with Mm -hmm. them. Layer two solutions are um, the Lightning Network is one of them. They um, aggregate... Transactions. transactions and then um, at a certain point check back with layer one and write all those transactions at the same time mm. so instead of every single transaction that happens in the past 10 minutes gets directly written into the um, into the Bitcoin ledger the lightning network and those who it is decentralized there are those who host lightning network nodes mm-hmm. they aggregate a certain number of transactions they speak together and then they take all those transactions and then they write them in. So um, I'll give you a really good analogy for this. Let's say you're out with friends yeah. uh, at a restaurant. Um, instead of each individual person paying the bill, um, you can Venmo each other and then one person pays one bill. That's a really to the good restaurant. example. That's mm-hmm. a really good example. So instead of the rest, so the restaurant is Bitcoin. Think mm-hmm. of the restaurant as Bitcoin. So the restaurant is collecting transactions from each table. Mm-hmm. If there's too many tables, it can get bogged down. Yeah. So if if the tables are, you know, they're doing like split checks and there's like eight people, it's a it's a lot of headache. So Lightning Two is basic. Uh, sorry, not Lightning Two. Lightning Network mm-hmm. is basically um, a way to like settle a bunch of transactions and then take less transactions or less complex transactions and then. Uh, apply it to the layer one. When does it get applied to the layer one? Um, I'm I'm not sure exactly that. Because there's there's what that makes me think is it. Um, how how fast does it confirm these transactions? That's that's the so the root of my so question. So layer two still has to go to layer one, as far as I know. Of course. Um, so layer two has to go to layer one. So your transaction time is the same. It's just it's going through a different pipeline. I see. So is it that um, the less complex transactions or the transactions that need less security go to the Lightning? Actually, you can choose. So um, Mm -hmm. different different wallets and different uh, acceptors of Bitcoin uh, give you a mechanism where you can do it directly with Bitcoin. Some some are on the Lightning nodes and Mm -hmm. allow you to do via Lightning. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are much lower fees to do transactions on Lightning, but not every single person accepts or has the in integration with Lightning. I see. Um, it's going there. And every day there's more and more um, Lightning nodes being spun up, more and more people hosting the infrastructure. And the purpose for them is for lower transaction fees. Yeah, increased throughput, right? So there, there is, so what Bitcoin Cash did, it was, it, um, it allowed there to be more transactions that can happen every 10 minutes or so. Mm. That, that was one of the big differences from Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash. They updated the code within Bitcoin to allow more transactions to happen every mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Um, 
Bitcoin Core said, we're going to keep Bitcoin pure. We don't really want to change the core mm -hmm. Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but we're going to, anyone's allowed to build something on top of Bitcoin. That could be mm -hmm. a layer two. Lightning Network is that. Ethereum has its own layer twos. They're aggregators and they're, they use different mechanisms. Um, like Ayman said, it's imagine there was um, someone who sat at our table at dinner. That person collected our payment. And then that person went and collected the payment from the table next to us and then in the third mm. table. And then that person said, hey, restaurant, I collected all these payments. All these transactions happened. You only need to deal with me. Here's one transaction. I've settled everything for you. So you didn't bog down the entire mm. Bitcoin network with 30 transactions. You collected them. You netted them. You did everything that needed to happen. And then you said, this is the new, this is the change that needs to happen at layer one. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, so, so that was Bitcoin. You know, we, yeah. we went a little bit deeper than I wanted, but just to bring it bring it all back from a core. Banks, ledger, pluses and minuses. Bitcoin, decentralized ledger, pluses and minuses. Then all the cool benefits Ayman had asked me about. You know, mm -hmm. banks decide who and when anyone can do a transaction with. They can tell you, you can do a transaction with this person, this person, and in this country, you can't do a transaction with him. It's a weekend, you can't do a transaction on this weekend. It's after a certain cutoff, you can't do this. They decide the rules of what mm -hmm. happens. One of the biggest benefits, in my opinion, with Bitcoin is because it's decentralized um, and there's no jurisdictional power over it. There, there's no one entity or one government that can control it. Can't it can't really be banned. It becomes really hard for someone to tell me, you can't send Bitcoin to this person or you can't send Bitcoin at this time mm -hmm. or you can't send Bitcoin. It's a weekend or a holiday. There's always... Um, network is always running. Network is always running. And it's never gone down, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's really unique. That's one of the big benefits. There mm -hmm. are plenty of other ones, and we'll get into them later. Censorship yeah. resistance is arguably the most common and, and well-known one. So censorship resistance is basically the fact that Bitcoin doesn't care what you're doing with your money or who you are. So no KYC, which is know your customer know your customer yeah so so centralized exchanges especially in the u.s they will have certain systems or platforms that ask for your oh absolutely your so that so that's that's the on-ramp and off-ramp right so where yeah. bitcoin interacts with the traditional banking system that of course needs to be regulated right and then you we need to know what's happening and governments are trying to there's it's the same set of rules that mm -hmm. banks have mm -hmm. where the u.s dollar or the japanese yen or the korean won interacts with bitcoin that's not really happening on the bitcoin network that is off chain that's happening more within the realm of traditional finance what i was talking about decentralization is once that capital is within bitcoin um and is within the crypto ecosystem it's not impossible right we talk mm -hmm. about pseudo anonymity right nothing yeah. is truly anonymous within bitcoin um, because of those on-ramps and off-ramps, mm -hmm. but it becomes more difficult. So that's one, really one benefit. Another big benefit that I love about Bitcoin is the anti-inflation nature of it. Right? So mm -hmm. when we talked about these central banks that control ledgers on behalf of governments, a government can ask the central bank, can you please increase our wallet? Right? We, we have $1 trillion, but hey, COVID happened, and you know we want to help, and we want to do X, Y, and Z. All the controller of the ledger has to do is you know erase a number and add a number and now this government right and yeah. that's inflation most people don't realize is it's just thievery from the person who has it yeah. so if, if there's a hundred dollars in the entire banking ecosystem and you own Mimi owns five of them Mimi owns five percent of the wealth if tomorrow um, the central bank prints another hundred dollars and decides to figure out how to distribute that all of a sudden Mimi now, she still has her five, 
but instead of owning 5% of the wealth, she owns 2.5% of the wealth. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter how much work she did, um, she got cut. That's what happens every day. And we've gotten comfortable with this inflationary numbers. And, and it targets. affects the lower income people the most because when prices go up, you know, it's the cost of cost of living and cost of goods yeah. uh, disproportionately always affects lower income people. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really cool philosophical topic. It affects them directly in that things become more yeah. expensive. And they don't... But when you think about it, yeah. it affects those who have the most, the most, right? So from an absolute right. number of dollars, right. you lose the most nominally. Exactly. Right. But from a um, purchasing ability, you know, milk going from three dollars to five dollars is not going to affect you as much as the guy who you know is making much less. So it hurts right. everyone. And it hurts everyone. Yeah. Bitcoin solves for that because the ledger is immutable. The ledger has a finite number of Bitcoin. That finite number was programmed in at day zero. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's, there's mechanisms on how that number um, gets allocated. But for simplicity's sake, there will never be more than 21 million. So one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. No one can change that. The price of Bitcoin relative to dollars can go up, can go down. The price of Bitcoin relative to the Indian rupee can go up or can go down. Right. That is outside of the on-chain Bitcoin mechanism. Bitcoin, the number of Bitcoins, because it's decentralized and the nature of it, nobody can increase them mm -hmm. and nobody can take them away from you. Yeah. Whereas a bank can take away your money, right? And, and the way they do it is um, a government doesn't actually have the ability to take your money, but a government regulates Chase. Mm -hmm. And the government can say, hey, Mimi did something bad. Chase, please freeze her assets and pull her money from Garnish her account her and, put it, it and put it into our government right. bank account. And even more... Um, like more subtly, they can they can take your money by taxing or by yeah. inflation or by any number of means that people don't realize is them taking your money. But at the end of the day, you're you're you have less value in your pocket. Yeah. And we're not advocating. I mean, taxation is is necessary. That's how we right, have everything right. we have. That's how we had the roads that we have to get here right. to build everything that we the bridges and tunnels and you know all of that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the there's um, there's nothing stopping you from paying your taxes on your Bitcoin, right? It's it's a choice, right? So it's uh, what I love about Bitcoin is it gives you the ability and the right of sovereignty over your own assets. No one has control, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes the social contract changes. No one can force you to do the right thing. Um, you know there are mechanisms and rules and laws, and being part of a society, you are obligated to operate within those rules. But um, you cannot force me to do something with right. my money. Uh, and if I choose to break those rules, I can face those consequences. And uh, we live in a country where we're very blessed. You know, we're yeah. not dealing with these issues on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. We're not dealing with absolute levels of corruption and hyperinflation. And oftentimes we forget that the majority of the world doesn't I have that. I think that. people might disagree with you about yeah. the hyperinflation yeah, <laughs> and corruption. Yeah, you know, but it, it can always be worse, right? And That's true. And actually, I, I was, uh, you know, I think I was watching another podcast and they were talking about how crypto in general allows for a level of globalization that makes it so that you're not necessarily tied. So, for example, back then, I think in Germany, when there was a lot of crazy stuff happening, rich people, because all their money is in that denomination, they mm -hmm. couldn't leave the country yes. no matter how much they disagreed with yes. what the powers were doing. So, so it's, it's very liberating like to it's have true, something that literally anybody can have it's in your brain. Yeah. It's, it's like the concept is, is really powerful. And I think that 
there's so many layers to it that people don't think about. It, it is really like the, the early days of the internet. It really feels so like true, that. So true, man. Yeah. Well, the, the example I like to give people, humans are notoriously bad at not knowing what we don't know. We cannot conceptualize a world where the rules are different, where there's technologies that we haven't yet seen. Mm. And, you know, if I came to you, Ayman, in 2000, and I said, Ayman, you know, think about where you were in 2000. I remember where I was. I had just come from Egypt, and they were AOL was sending CDs to my parents' house. <laughs> and you, you yeah, get five minutes those. of free internet or 30 minutes of free internet. You go to yeah. Rite Aid and pick up some more. You plug the CD in, and then you dial up, ee, 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 and your mom is yelling at you because she can't use the phone. Right. <laughs> if I had told you this internet thing, amen, that you need to plug in a CD and your mom can't use the phone, every single person in the world is going to have access to it in their pocket. Every single yeah. person is going to have an email address. Every single person is going to have a WhatsApp account. Mm -hmm. If I tried to explain to you social media and Facebook, right, in, in 2000, if I tried to give you – there was no way really you would hard. believe me. It's hard. We are bad at conceptualizing what we don't know. Now it makes the most sense in the world. It, it, mm -hmm. Everyone's like, oh, I wish I was around in 2000s and the 90s. Yeah. I would have invested in the internet. No, I, you wouldn't. You probably would, wouldn't. <laughs> most people would have said you're crazy. I, if I told you, think of your heart's desire, whatever you know, it is, and it could be at your thing. house in two days. No, how? That's not possible. But that's, that's where we are now. And that's how I feel about Bitcoin. I think a really good example of that, of yeah. what you're saying, is people can't fathom Bitcoin going from whatever it was, a dollar to 100, to 1,000, to, to 30,000, right? Yeah. They can't fathom it. And then every time it goes up, they're like, okay, it's not going to go up anymore. Yeah. And then it goes down 50%. And they can't. They still can't fathom it's going to go back up or yeah. that it's going to go even higher. And then it does. And it's it's not even doing anything outside of the, the realm of, of the models that, mm -hmm. that people use, like the stock to flow model, right. which is one that I use a lot. Um, it's it's simply based on scarcity, yeah. and because it's deflationary, and because there's a, a limited number of Bitcoin, it's it follows a very specific curve. Yeah. And in 2025, I think the stock to flow model says it's going to be a million dollars per Bitcoin. Yeah. Obviously, that depends on the U.S. dollar and and how, you know, how much more printing they do, but uh, it's crazy that, that so, people just. So why do you think there's people that can't understand Bitcoin and like big people like you like? Take Warren Buffett, for example. Well, I mean, do you, do you go to your grandparents' house? <laughs> I mean, not to be mean to anyone, like when you when you have a tech, an issue on your cell phone mm -hmm. or you have an issue with Facebook or tech support, right? As we grow older, it's it's very common. Our brains become a lot less, a lot more resistant to absorbing new knowledge, right? They, they, yeah. It literally hardens. Your brain literally mm -hmm. hardens. A child's brain is softer and can absorb more as we grow more, older. More plastic. Exactly. Right? It, it becomes harder. Right? So I don't fault them, right? It's... Um, and also, the risk profiles of people as they age are much different than the younger people, right? They have much That's less true. time. So the volatility doesn't work. And yeah, Warren Buffett, I mean, he built his fortune on a very specific model that he's mm -hmm. developed. And it worked for him. And to diverge from that model takes such an like, amazing leap mm -hmm. that to him, it's like un unthinkable, you know? Yeah. And Bill Gates, Bill Gates is kind of weird for me because Bill Gates is like the yeah. father of, Technology. you know, yeah. operating systems. and. Yeah. So you would imagine someone like that is is a little bit more open-minded, but... You know what's funny? You yeah. know, uh, four years ago when I launched my first fund, if you had told me the number of people who would be pro-Bitcoin today, I would, have, I would have said the exact same. You're a maniac. You're crazy. Like, <laughs> if you had told me Bitcoin and was you're the be, you're the one that got bit, bit by the Bitcoin bug, I, yeah, as you like, say, and, right? And even, and even me, you know, my, even my brain is limited, and I can't you know, yeah. think enough steps ahead. Yeah. But the people that what I what really convinced me 
to answer your question, Mimi, is the talent that's coming in, right? There's so many people like myself leaving really, really powerful jobs, really good careers, mm -hmm. to, whether it's to build code for Bitcoin or to invest in Bitcoin or mm -hmm. to launch projects or to, you know, build funds, whatever it is, that brain power, the absolute hash power of brains that are coming into the space, we can't all be idiots. We can't all be, <laughs> you know, crazy and dumb. Right. And those people, it's uh, the game theory of it is great. They're the most incentivized to watch Bitcoin grow and mm -hmm. to build and to bring trust into it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't fault the those who are naysayers. I think in time they will see, just like every other person who spent yeah. the time to understand it sees it. Yeah. Told me Ray Dalio, uh, Stanley Druckenmiller, Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Like you told me those people were going to be into Bitcoin. I said probably not. But they are. Yeah, Elon's a controversial figure these days, huh? <laughs> I know, I know. We can't. It's, sometimes we love him, sometimes we hate him. But yeah, he he really. I think you know, the Doge thing. He's a troll first and foremost. <laughs> I think he's a genius and a troll, like one of those people who, like, mad scientist level. Yeah. Just goofy and and I, I mean I love what he's doing at Tesla. Um, Doge is an interesting phenomenon because yeah. I think it made crypto or the idea of it, it kind of accessible yeah mm -hmm. uh, and then a lot of people from doge you know whether they lost money or made money saw other things and i think that was great for the ecosystem a lot of people mm -hmm. are kind of upset that a you know an altcoin i'll use the proper term yeah okay um kind of you know um is stealing the spotlight but i don't, I don't really see it that way yeah i think you're right i you know i i'm not going to pretend to be in uh, Elon's mind he's way smarter yeah. than I will ever be and I respect him <laughs> tremendously but you know I see some narcissistic um, tendencies there he likes to control things and yeah um, the doge thing was a a, a really unique mechanism uh, Bitcoin was great before Elon Bitcoin will be great after Elon Bitcoin is way bigger than Elon and probably it, too big for Elon to it, piggyback well, off of my, my my I guess question towards that would be is um, why would he invest all of this money and pump the the coin and, and mm. you know uh, bring Tesla into this and then so on Bitcoin? Yeah, and then shortly after, um, you know, the whole breakup happens. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, Tesla's still holding the majority of their Bitcoin. Yeah, it's not clear, right? So one one week he's you know throwing up diamond hand emojis, another week <laughs> breakup. Uh, yeah. I always say, don't listen to what people say, watch what they do, right? So yeah. until I see that not just Tesla has sold their Bitcoin, Elon has, it's all trolling, it's all manipulation, and right. it's not good for the ecosystem. Every single time he tweets, he loses a little bit more capability of influencing the market. That's Over true. time, the market will grow accustomed to it, yeah. and his voice will mean less and less. Mm. Um, everyone learns that. Uh, he, it was novel when he first got into it. it was, it's novel now that he's, you know, quasi exiting it yeah see time will tell whether or not he is a as big of an influence i'm confident that he will be a smaller influence from two factors one the more he does it the less the more, less influence he has and mm -hmm. two the bigger bitcoin gets the harder it is for anyone to influence we have yeah. elon musk arguably the most famous you know the richest iron man superhero of the world he's, he's had a, a good amount of influence over mm -hmm. it how many other people out there can we expect to have this type of influence? I can't think of any. Yeah. And even him, he's losing his influence over it. Right. And if anything, the more institutional investment starts to flow in, the more, um, the more the conversation will probably shift towards, you know, fundamentals and usage and things yeah. like that. You're right. And and like I always tell people because you know, 
all our friends, obviously, they all come to us for advice on like investment advice. And obviously, we're not financial advisors. But, you know, you look at the price, it goes up and down all the time. Yeah. But what, what always goes up is the development and the man hours put into the infrastructure. Yes. Yes. And I think if you pay attention to just that, like if you look at how much total value locked into DeFi, for example, mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing metric. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. But yeah. overall, I mean, the, the ecosystem is just constantly growing. So, so true, man. Yeah, it's it's. The, Can't I think quantify the, that, and it's not clear. Yeah, it's really it, not yeah, clear. People absolutely. people can quantify the price, price times number of coins, and they get market cap, and that's easy for us to conceptualize. But mm -hmm. we're not quantifying well the number of man hours, like you said, and not just the number, yeah. the number of man and woman coming into the space. And right. this is this is um, it's it's equivalent to that total value locked, right. right? This is people who are giving up their careers, like I said, mm -hmm. and committing full time to being in this ecosystem. Right. Uh, the game theory is on our side. Right? Yeah. Th these people are not going to watch it fail, myself included. Right. And every single time we have we have these conversations, we were in a restaurant the other day, right? We're having a conversation. There's literally people walking up to us and saying, <laughs> "I'm interested. You know, how can I learn more?" Can yeah, I, I overheard know? you talking about this. I, yeah, I need to get into every it. Every single person, every single for every four conversations you have, there's going to be that one naysayer. There's still the mo the majority of people still don't have Bitcoin. So for yeah. everyone who says it's too late, they don't. Yeah, we were <laughs> we were at a dinner party with one of my old friends from high school. And we were, you know, me and her, we talk about Bitcoin and crypto all the time. Yeah. And she was like, she could not wait for us to stop talking yeah. about it. She's like, this is so boring. And I was like, what? <laughs> How is this boring? It's not but her all her friends were, were uh, a, a lot of them, a lot yeah. of them actually own Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, they're all kind of into technology. So, yeah. You know, there's always that S-curve. I don't know if you've ever seen it, like um, the adoption rate for, yeah. for new technology, especially the more innovative it is, it is <laughs> the more like the beginning is really slow and you have just the hyper nerds like accepting it right away. And then you have the people who are like, all right, I'm going to follow these guys because they're smart. And then eventually you're either on the boat or you're drowning, you know. Even so I, I see who, it. I see it following that. Even people who, who don't own Bitcoin, but the, what they do know about it is that it's bad for the environment. Mm. That's like almost always the comment that I get from people who don't own it, but they know something about it is that it's, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not good for us. Yeah, it's funny. There's always been a negative narrative, right? And I can think mm -hmm. of many over, over the years, right? Um, a couple years ago, it was my Bitcoin is going to get hacked. Someone's going to steal my Bitcoin. Mm. You know, I don't understand that. That was the narrative that was pushed by a lot of people in, in the media and people that was the counter argument I was getting when I was talking about Bitcoin. Seems cool. I'm interesting. Blockchain, not Bitcoin was one. My Bitcoin's going to get hacked was one. Bitcoin, dark money, you know, illicit activities is mm -hmm. one. There's always been a narrative. Today, that narrative is climate change, climate change and clean yeah. energy. And that is a cool narrative. And, mm -hmm. you know, it should be talked about. But it doesn't affect Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't care about what I say. Everybody Bitcoin doesn't care what you say. Bitcoin doesn't care what Elon says. Mm. Bitcoin doesn't care what the price of Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is finite. There's 21 million Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is only truly influenced by supply and demand. More and people, people will always mine it and people will always value it. Yeah, there's, there's going to be value. Yeah. So um, the argument will change. Today it's climate change. Tomorrow it will be something else. Um, there, mm -hmm. If there wasn't, I mean, Prices would just be going up forever, right? So these are opportunities. Yeah. And the more people talk about it, the more people understand it, the more they come around to it. And problems need to be talked about to be solved. Yeah. And it's, uh, oh, it's I good. think you were interested in the climate change discussion. Um, 
So I was reading up uh, earlier, and uh, basically there are a lot of arguments for Bitcoin influencing uh, climate change in a positive way, which sounds like ludicrous when you think of when you like hear that. But first of all, what people don't get is that it's not just you're not just mining Bitcoin. You're not just you're not just mining a digital vaporware, right? Yeah. You're 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 securing, securing the network, the most secure. It's it's literally the most secure financial network in the world right now. Yeah. Um, in terms of sheer number of of resources allocated towards you know For taking sure. the transactions and, and and confirming them, and that's not a small thing. I mean, I don't know if you have any like comparisons with. Um, with like uh, you know some of the other banks, but yeah. but but they all use a lot of electricity, and and I've seen some crazy just like people people say that Bitcoin is a waste of electricity, even though so many people are use are getting yeah. utility out of it. Meanwhile, you have Christmas lights in, in December in the U.S. The number of the, the amount of energy consumption from just yeah. Christmas lights in December eclipses the entire energy consumption of certain countries. You oh. know. I don't know if you knew that. But no, I didn't know that. I, he I heard that. And it just, it's all about framing. Like yeah. the people who don't like it are going to, are going to just, you know, right. have their talking points and. Yeah. But uh, just to take the devil's advocate position here, two wrongs sure. don't make a right. Right. I mean, That's just, true, because, just because there's a lot of uh, Christmas light consumption doesn't uh -huh. mean we should have consumption just because the banks are doing a lot of consumption doesn't if we're truly saying this is better this is 2.0 this is the decentralized version then there we should, should, be, better in all we should be doing better right yeah. and the cool thing is we are doing better right the, the comment you said mm -hmm. the miners maybe we should talk a little bit about what mining is right because mm -hmm. um when i talked about mining with my wife for the first time she thought when i told her we were going to get a miner <laughs> she was like joking around but you're going to dig for something in our basement no. <laughs> These miners, they're just computers. Um, they're computers. Yeah. Uh, when we talked about that ledger, right, and how you need to secure the ledger, Satoshi Nakamoto was very smart. He knew that this ledger was going to get larger and larger over time. It's going to get more complex over time. So he created a mechanism where uh, you as a miner need to prove to the ecosystem that your computing power, for, your, computing, your computer is strong enough and encrypted enough and powerful enough to withstand attack. How did he do that? He created an, algor an, an algorithm that spits out a math problem every couple minutes. Right now it's 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. This math problem has grown to be so complex um, that there's no one actually solving the math problem. It's guess and check at this point. So the more number of guesses you can do per second, the more likely you are at guessing the math problem, guessing the answer to the math problem, and getting the reward. Um, this algorithm is smart enough to become harder if people are solving the math problem very quickly. So if computer, if there's a lot of computing power and there's a lot of competition, it becomes harder, it be, mm -hmm. which means um, uh, it also becomes easier if there's not a lot of people securing the network to incentivize more people to come mm -hmm. on and keep the network secure. That's what these miners are doing. They're solving math problems. And what is the electricity usage, though? Like, what, how does solving math problems? People think computers, and I'm running a computer. That's not really what's using the microprocessors. Aren't using the majority of the of the electricity. These, the solving of this math problem generates a tremendous amount of heat. These microprocessors are heating up significantly. So the electricity is used to cool down the computer that's solving the math problems. Mm -hmm. So um, these miners, their biggest cost is electricity. So their profit is how much reward in Bitcoin did I get minus the cost of my electricity. 
that's what their profit is. I so, have an idea. What's up? What if we what if we started creating smart fridges <laughs> where the miners in the freezer? <laughs> now every house is a every house can be part of the, the mining pool. No, yeah. but yeah, that makes sense. So so it's basically it just, just heat. It's just cooling, right? So these miners are you said it right. They're actually pushing for renewable energy because it's cheaper for them. Mm. Right? If if I was paying you know, uh, 16 cents per kilowatt or 8 cents per kilowatt to get my electricity from PSENG, but then I install some solar panels and now I, I drop down my cost of electricity significantly, that's more profit for me. Mm -hmm. If I can place my miners in a place that's cooler, right, so I think Siberia, I think Russia, I think Alaska, that's where a lot of these miners are moving. Um, underground in, you know, beneath the snow in caverns, you let the earth do the cooling for you, you have much lower cost of electricity. So, Free market economics, supply yeah. and demand, we are doing better. And right. it, the argument shouldn't be the banks do a lot and there's electricity being used for um, – it's, it's good to know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we should be the ones making it better and holding yeah. people accountable. Yeah, and, and um, I think I read that in China, for example, more than 50% of the miners are using renewables already. Hydroelectric. Yeah, yeah hydroelectric. Mm -hmm. So – I mean, the more demand there is, the more we're going to have to find solutions. Absolutely. And that's always been the case in human, you know, human history. Absolutely. So I don't see this being any different. There's something really cool that um, I, I, I haven't fully synthesized it yet, but I, I love the concept. There's a lot of um, energy that isn't captured, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of solar energy hitting our earth that isn't captured or monetized in any way. Right. Like think about how much energy you're using. You have solar panels. It's absorbing. You use it. You potentially have a battery, maybe. Not everyone does. So whatever the excess capacity is being, quote-unquote, wasted. There's no way mm -hmm. to monetize that. Think of hydroelectric. Think of you know a simple, something as simple as uh, you know, a circular wheel on a river. You know, it's spinning. Whether or not you use the energy, that thing is spinning, right? Mm -hmm. You could actually capture that energy. You, know, you can capture it in the form of Bitcoin by mining Bitcoin off of that, right? So you've captured that energy that was free energy that's just existing. Mm. And you've you created – it's like a battery. Well, it's a, yeah. You've literally created a battery, right? So now you've used this excess capacity. And in the future, whether you wanted to purchase energy or purchase something else with mm -hmm. that energy, um, you are capturing all this excess. And these miners, they're figuring it out. And mm -hmm. they're, you, they're, they're entire um, apparatuses – Utility companies are figuring this out and understanding this now. They can manage their excess capacity that's just being thrown away and wasted. And I'm not saying burn coal or, or you know light oil on fire to mine. That doesn't that does right. that breaks this model that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. right. I'm talking about true excess natural renewable energy. You created right. artificial batteries, right, right, in the form of value that you right. can then use at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a really yeah. cool concept. And yeah, I love how and all of this is kind of emerging organically. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when 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 Bitcoin first started, they were they weren't thinking about any of this stuff. No. So <laughs> it's really cool to see. We don't know what we don't know. And yeah. People are yeah. just building such cool things. Right. It's like um, something I heard at the conference. Um, uh, one of my partners said it. It's like Legos, right? So uh -huh. someone created, someone gave us a whole bunch of Lego pieces, and they were like, "Go build whatever you want." So yeah. I built something and then Eamon built something and then Mimi comes in and he's like, what if I connect these two things mm. and plug them in on top of this right. thing? And everyone is just building their empires so and their cool yeah. things and they're connecting them to each other and they're plugging them this way and flipping them upside down. And it's just fascinating and it's infinite. The variables are infinite mm. and yeah. the layers and the stacking and the colors and the people. and It's bringing out creativity. Yeah. 
It, it really is. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. So back to the conference, um, what, you know, what were the speakers talking about? It, were they talking about kind of the future of Bitcoin mm-hmm. in terms of technology or infrastructure? Or, you know, what was the, I guess a lot of different topics came up, but what was it, your favorite? Mm, well, my favorite was Michael Saylor. He, he's always, he's Who's just, that? Oh, my dude. Michael Saylor is the CEO of MicroStrategy. And uh-huh. uh, he's, he's the longest serving CEO of a tech company in wow. the United States. And most people don't know that about him. Mm. Um, he, he runs a software company mm-hmm. and um, he uh, got bit by the Bitcoin bug. Yeah. Was never a social media guy. <laughs> when was this? Like, when did he really start getting mm, into it? Maybe a year ago. Really? Actually, maybe a little bit more. So wow. maybe 12 to 18 months. We, we got to check that out. Mm. We need someone here to sit here and. Um, and fact check this for us, <laughs> so don't quote Jamie. me on that. Yeah, um, and it doesn't feel like long that long ago, but time has also warped for me since COVID happened. Mm. I've lost track of it. Yeah. So he's the longest serving tech CEO. He got bit by the Bitcoin bug and then started. He's never really in the limelight. Was never on TV. Mm. Didn't didn't do podcasts. And, but now he's become this crypto whiz kid, and uh, he was talking about all the stuff that we were talking about mm-hmm. in a much more succinct and much more beautiful way. Really. He thinks Bitcoin is the future of everything. He yeah. thinks Bitcoin is going to make life better for everyone on earth. Yeah. Wow. He thinks it's going to be the true liberator, the equalizer mm-hmm. of wow. cultures, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, five more dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, no, he is so bullish on it. And he'll talk to you about it as if it is the most obvious thing. Yeah. As if, like, how do you not see this? How do you not see this technology yeah. and get excited about it? And his it? track record speaks for itself. I mean, Absolutely. He spotted these things. He he invested, he, he takes really high conviction in large bets. So he bet heavily on Apple and other tech stocks and where people thought he was so crazy. He'll do his research and he'll go he, all in. He, he finds what he likes and he stands with conviction and yeah. he goes in it and then well, he, he talks about it. He seems to have vision too. Yeah. Like he can see the potential for yeah. whatever he's investing in. Inflation. I'm happy to use those people as a proxy for my investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Decisions. <laughs> it's it's so true. It's yeah. so true. The writing is so on the wall. You know, we talk about, we, we always talk about energy and we talk about price and we talk about hacking and building the infrastructure. I think oftentimes we forget the elephant in the room and that elephant in the room is inflation. Inflation is here. Inflation is growing and it's growing in every country at a rate that we potentially have never seen before. Mm-hmm. We're printing well, go hypothetical. Go ahead. What would happen, I know this is really hard to predict, but, you know, there's a stock-to-flow model, which is just uh, it, it just basically scarcity over yeah. the, the, the flow. But what if governments decided tomorrow, for example, let's say the U.S. government decided instead of an inflation target, we want a deflation target. Mm. You know, because I think naturally, the if you just left the economy alone, technology would cause, and you didn't print any more dollars, technology would cause a 2% deflation. Mm. Um, that's what I was reading. And so what would happen to Bitcoin if, if now, you know, the US, you know, government decided, Hey, let's stop being stupid. Let's stop stealing money through inflation and let's stop printing money. What would happen? What do you think would happen? That's a, that's a really cool thought process. I've never, I've never thought of the reverse. So on paper, right? If we were just to live in a world of absolutes, if one side is good, if inflation is good for Bitcoin, right? Without any further thinking, one could make the argument deflation should potentially be bad for Bitcoin. Right. I haven't thought far enough to reach that conclusion yet. And to be fair, I think that Bitcoin has way more going for it than just the fact that it's deflationary. Absolutely. So I'm not necessarily worried about that, but I think that may be... Couldn't, wouldn't that be the best could, possible outcome in the world, right? If, if we are worried about, like, the people right. who have the keys, right, the people who are 
quote unquote running this economy can print money with immutability right. because they can and then they can give that money to the banks, their friends, whoever they want with immutability. It's government sanctioned theft, right, at a, at a massive scale. Mm-hmm. If Bitcoin was designed to solve that by being Bitcoin, but ended up solving it just because it exists, because now there's it competition. Yeah. Right. I mean, competition breeds excellence, right? right? If there was, if every government in the world can just print money because, hey, you're you're in Germany, what are you going to do? You're in the U.S., what are you going to do? Like, what, what are you going to buy? In fact, all the governments are printing money at an accelerated pace. What are right. you, what are you going to go into? Right. There was mm-hmm. nothing stopping people from printing money, but you know, if if that's the outcome, if the outcome is the government's become sound money and we have sound money <laughs> principles <laughs> because be Satoshi Nakamoto invent, invented Bitcoin. Man, so be it. You know, like yeah. that's that's the best possible outcome for everyone. Yeah. So. It doesn't it doesn't seem like uh, well, I don't think Bitcoin at all would lose any value either because it it seems like Bitcoin found its like true purpose of being an asset instead of a currency. Yes. So um, even if the dollar was to be deflationary, then Bitcoin yeah. would still hold its position as right. A, and its value. I mean, if you think about it, the value of Bitcoin. The, the the price per Bitcoin may go down, but the value would go up. Potentially. Right? I'm, I'm if, not if sure. If the U.S. dollar became more valuable. Well, let's, it, just, well, let's just talk about, we're talking about a, a deflation of 2%, right? Right, so which all, is not a crazy amount. All, all it would mean is, um, you know, if, if Bitcoin went up in value 8%, you know, technically it would have, you, you would have only gained 6% in absolute value, right? right so, right. like, the... the Bitcoin beats inflation by way more than, you know, the, the two, three percent a year. Bitcoin has annualized 200 percent per year since inception. Right. So yeah. is this slowing down or no? Um, yes, it yeah, is. It is. It, this is the average over the past 10 years. So what so. has it been? the la- I don't know. This is even a good question because mm-hmm. it's it's like you'll have insane, a, an insane year. Well, no, not necessarily. It can just be calculated. I mean, yeah. averages are. That's so what's, what averages what's, the, are. what's the three year average? We'd have to look that up. We need uh, mm. Mimi fact checker to sit there and, and do some math. But can you look that up for I us? Can, yeah, I'm really curious to know because, you know, a, a lot of people are you know trying to get rich quick naturally because of this phenomenon. It's yeah. kind of bringing a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's giving them the idea or the dream yeah. for your uh, annualized average return for Bitcoin. A lot of people, you know, Doge and all of these meme coins. The only reason they're taking off is because people are trying to get rich it's because humans have a unit bias right and and that's uh, they do have a unit bias too and it's fascinating right right humans and this isn't a humanity thing people are not smart right like they don't understand that they don't not everyone understands the concept of market cap right and they would say why would i put one thousand dollars into bitcoin where you know that'll buy me whatever point zero x bitcoin right if i put one thousand dollars into ripple or if i put one thousand dollars into doge i can have a couple hundred thousand doge right yeah then numbers are attractive to people. And yeah. I watched, I read a study that said um, in the 2017 bull cycle, the coins with the lowest prices tended to outperform the coins with the bigger prices. Wow. Just because people of that exact yeah. same phenomenon. I think a smart developer can obfuscate the, the, the return potential. Yeah. Just just by, like, look at SafeMoon. It's like 0.000. <laughs> but the market cap is in the billions. I know. It's yeah. just it's and you try to explain that to someone and they don't really get it. They're like, no, I just need it to go to a, a dollar. Penny. I need to go to a dollar. Yeah. I just need it to go to a penny. Yeah. Like I'll buy fifty dollars worth. Yeah. And a lot of people lose money that way. But I guess that that's and I really want to talk about this eventually. But I really want to talk about like how um, crypto is an ex- is a, is like the purest free market experiment. 
mm-hmm. because you can't regulate it. I mean, you could regulate it to some extent, like on the, you know, if you try to exchange it for fiat, obviously yeah. you're gonna, you may run into issues if there's regulation. But beyond that, like it's truly the wild west. And I'm seeing that every problem that arises, there's like two or three solutions being built for it. Yeah, and true. that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll see whether it pans out. I mean, if it really does work out, mm-hmm. I can see government saying, okay, look, that's an example of free market or libertarian values. Um, it worked. And, it, and it worked. Let's try it out here. I'm, I'm actually uh, recently past the if, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone, you know, four years ago when I launched the first fund, it was, you know, if this works, it's an asymmetrical bet. You know, you were going to, you could potentially make, you know, an unbelievable amount of return. If it doesn't work, the most you can lose is 100%, right? And, yeah. and there was if in my conversations, there was if in my tone. At this level, with the players in the space now and the and the brain power and the corporate power and institutional power and the government power and the people behind it, I don't I don't think it's an if anymore. I'm in mm. the when camp. And Mimi said something really beautiful before. Um, so what if the dollar becomes sound? That's a good thing. Michael Saylor said something really cool at the conference. Talked about how Bitcoin is becoming a bridge between everything, a bridge between peoples, a bridge between assets, a bridge between value. It can serve as that bridge between the Japanese yen and the US dollar and the Korean won and the Indian rupee um, because it knows no boundaries, it knows no countries, it knows no um, color. It's, yeah. I have Bitcoin, you want Bitcoin, I have something you want, we can we can exchange value. Mm-hmm. It is um, is truly liberating, like you said. You don't have to go through banks and FX and multiple intermediary banks right. and, and fees and Bitcoin is and no one can stop it at this point. Yeah. And the value of the network is the is the people, like you said. We talked, I think you and I have talked about Facebook before, right? Facebook isn't is the network. Isn't the most revolutionary technology in the entire world. The Facebook technology is actually on the ad side and being able to right. market to people. But from a user perspective, most people right. don't actually see that side. Yeah. Got a wall, you can write a comment, you can post a picture, press the like button. It is not the most revolutionary technology by any means, mm-hmm. but almost everyone has has a Facebook. It's because your mom has Facebook and your cousin has Facebook and your sister has Facebook. The more people that come into Bitcoin, the more that network grows, the network value mm-hmm. scales tremendously fast. The more people mm-hmm. I can send Bitcoin to, the more valuable my Bitcoin is. So I, I have a another hypothetical for okay. both of you. Also right. to answer the question hundred percent. Okay. For over, over the past last three years. years. Cool. So it is slowing down a little bit. Yeah. But I mean Well, it makes sense. It, it, it does. totally makes sense. Yeah. As um as more people come into the space, volatility becomes muted. As an early investor, you get compensated for your risk. Right? Right. So investment is risk and reward. The more right. risk you take, the more reward you should take. Yeah. Bitcoin was a big if. You know, right. ten or twelve mm-hmm. years ago, it was. It becomes a smaller if with every year that goes by. Mm-hmm. As more people come in, there's less volatility. Right. Less vol. Less volatile assets command lower return lower profiles. Yeah. So the volatility gets solved on, on its own over time. Yeah. As more people come in, the returns slow down. Then it becomes less volatile. So more people are more interested. I can invest in this. So they come in. Then the returns slow down. It becomes mm-hmm. less volatile. It's a self-serving cycle until mm-hmm. we come to some sort of normalized growth rate. Yeah. But to go from uh, who wouldn't be happy with 100% rate of return for the next couple of years, right? You, yeah, even if it goes to 50%. By holding, by just by holding, holding yeah. you know. Do, by, I, I do not swing trade ever. Just hold it. You know, it's 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 a fascinating concept. 
So yeah. you think it'll stabilize once the 21 million Bitcoins are fully mined? Well, just just so we know, the 21 million Bitcoins are going to be mined in the year 2140, yeah. right? So it'll be, maybe you'll be around, Mimi. You are a legend, <laughs> but I don't think Ayman and I will be around. So, and I, and I don't think that the block rewards are what's going to, most people don't know, over 90% of Bitcoin has already been mined and, mm. and it exists. Yeah, within the, the next, transaction fees, right? Yeah, within the next couple of years, um, bitbo.io is a really cool, um, we'll put that in the, in the link, uh, is a really cool website where you can actually see how much Bitcoin has been released, uh, the rate at which it's being released, at what year you know you become at 99%. So I, I don't think that after the Bitcoin rewards are gone right and all bitcoin have been mined that it will stabilize that won't be the mechanism why it stabilizes right maybe it's stabilized by then because you know everyone is using it right mm -hmm. just due to the so sheer volume yeah position in society. Mm -hmm. right okay so here's my hypothetical um in what Dropping scenario do you <laughs> see bitcoin falling failing um failing or falling in either um i think failing yeah i've heard a few things um, I think the most, it, if if every country decided that you can you can not have a centralized exchange, right? So Coinbase, Kraken, KuCoin, all these guys, basically, if they were regulated into oblivion and they basically ceased to exist, which I think at this point it's not possible because I think KuCoin just uh, got approval for 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 an actual bank in the U.S., right? Did you I'm hear not, about that? No, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. Oh, no, it was Kraken, sorry. Oh, Kraken, yeah. yeah Kraken, yeah. Kraken. <laughs> yes, they have a bank yeah, charter, yeah. Kraken, um, you know, they're opening a bank, like yeah. a physical bank too, I heard, Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. So at this point, like, if they wanted to make Bitcoin fail, they would have to do it pretty soon because the the velocity is is such that it's, you know, and I hate the word, too big, the phrase too big to fail. Yeah. But um, once there's enough, like, money in it, the the government is not going to want to just yeah, destroy. but it's, it's a really cool thought process, right? And I, I'm not even going to try to. I know the arguments for why Bitcoin will not fail, but mm. I think your question is, what are what are the scenarios that Bitcoin fails? And I think Ayman is right, right? As one possible scenario is every single government at once decided to you know this is the biggest priority. Forget global warming. Forget, we want to cancel Bitcoin. So every single government literally bans the purchase of Bitcoin, shuts down the exchanges where people can buy Bitcoin, goes after the miners, arrests people, you know, breaks mining computers together. Because as long as there's one miner, as long as there's one instance of the Bitcoin blockchain, it still exists. And there's nothing stopping me and you from not using any central. I don't even exchange. think you can stop mining. Uh, I mean, you could, I guess. You I mean, make like, it illegal. How would they and can they detect it, though? Can... Um, you know, with with enough money and enough, you know, right. you can detect anything. So that's one scenario. Another possible scenario is some massive bug in the code that we don't know about yet, right? Mm. So it's still code. It's been around for more than 12 years now, and, you know, we're pretty confident that if there was a bug, someone would have cracked it already. But if there is a bug, then it can be hard forked yeah. by the community. Potentially, you know, mm. right. but the, if, if, if it's something so massive that, you know, you wipe out all value and, you know, you're starting from scratch... That could, you know, that can count as a black swan event where it failed. Mm -hmm. I don't see that happening. But if you're asking me, how can it fail? You know, someone someone finds a bug and they can change their wallet address from one Bitcoin to 100 million Bitcoin overnight. You know, and it wasn't like a 51% attack or something. It was just mm -hmm. some some sort of some sort of software vulnerability. Sure, people will lose faith in Bitcoin. 
So here's another comment. Give it to me. So um, you can you can be an individual miner or you can join mining pools. Yes. Right. So these mining pools that are getting so huge, isn't that making the network seem more centralized? Yes. And don't you think that would somehow? There's a risk, but um, we've spoken about this before. So a miner owning most of the pool. Let's say that let's say that you have a superpower computer that no one knows about. And you just start mining and now you're at 51%. That theoretically means that you can mess with the code or mess with, uh, you know, you can give yourself a Bitcoin and the other miners would be out-competed by you or out-consensused. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is if you do that, everyone will lose faith in Bitcoin and the value of Bitcoin would drop and it would hurt you before mm -hmm. it would help you. And if you have 51% mining power, you're just better off continuing to mine authentically. Like, like you have every incentive to just mine like a regular person and not mess around. Um, you, it would be centralized to an extent, but there'd be very strong um, incentives to, to, you know, stay on course. Keep doing it the right way. Yeah. It's true free market, right? It's yeah. If um, these pools, we should explain what they are first, right? So you as a miner, you can have one mining computer and you get, you know, your computer has 10 million guesses per second, right? And uh, you are, based on that, you, you win the reward once every four years or something, right? Just mathematically. Mm -hmm. That's not sustainable. You're still paying your electricity. Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing it. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. So what people will do is they'll go together into pools. I will put up my 10 million guesses per second. You will put up your 20 million guesses per second. Now we have 30 million guesses per second. We have a much higher likelihood of winning a reward. When we do, you're going to get two-thirds of the reward. I will get one-third of the reward. Mm. These pools are getting larger and larger because there's some um, benefit um, being in a bigger pool. You're more likely to constantly get small amounts of Bitcoin as opposed to bigger payouts every once in a while. Mm. The concern is... If these pools are um, large enough, they could, like Ayman said, influence um, the influence the code, influence the transactions that get written into the blockchain. Uh, but Ayman is right that that influence is quickly dissipated by the fact that the people, the units making up that pool, they can opt out or into that pool at any moment in time. They are the ones most incentivized to make sure that the value of Bitcoin continues to go up. Because if it doesn't, they're the ones that are going to be hurt. Their computers, their mining computers become valueless. All the rewards they've earned become valueless. Mm. So the game theory is very strong. Um, could potentially a, um, a bad entity or a government who wants to shut down um, the Bitcoin network mm -hmm. become a 51%? Uh, potentially. But maybe, maybe they'll get one transaction and they'll be able to mess with the transaction. Maybe they'll get two. Maybe they'll get three in a row, right? Mm -hmm. But it becomes excessively difficult to continuously be 51% because mm. it'll it'll create competition, right? If people are seeing this one entity is getting really large and we don't like that entity or um, there's going to be other people that are trying to now mm. come in and make sure that you don't get to 51%. So it's um, the game theory, the free market economics of it are, are pretty powerful. At any moment it can break, right? We, we operate under the assumption of greed within game theory. We operate under the assumption that your goal is to maximize profits. Um, and, you know, if we're all within that same rule set, we can determine what's going to happen. 
there are going to be black swan events potentially where your goal mm-hmm. might not be. And then how do you break the game theory? Mm-hmm. So I hope that answered your question. It is, it is you know, a risk, but uh, the system that Satoshi Nakamoto built has risk mitigating um, facets. facets that, you know, try to alleviate that risk as much as possible. Can't right. wipe out the risk. Out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the mind share in the behind the space is pretty enormous too. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. So I'm not really worried. That's awesome. Without risk, there wouldn't be reward, right? So let's, let's always bring it back to that. So yeah. every time we highlight a risk, whether it's environmental risk, whether it's government risk, whether it's you know mining pool centralization risk, every one of these risks contributes to the return. Mm-hmm. So modern portfolio theory states risk and reward, right? So mm-hmm. the more risk you take, the more reward you should be compensated for that risk. So all these risks that we talk about, they shouldn't really scare people out of investing. If there were no risk, there would be no opportunity. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, the game has sailed, the, you know, the ship has fat passed, and you're late to the game. Mm-hmm. When you hear people talking about the risks, that's the only reason why there's still opportunity. Mm-hmm. If there were no risks, it then, wouldn't be a good investment. Right. You know, you're, you're back to whatever it is that we have right now. So don't ever think of, my God, this is too risky. I shouldn't invest in it. Risk does not mean you shouldn't invest in something. Risk just means you should size things appropriately. There's nothing that is too risky to invest in. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. That sentence doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Risk is more a function of how much I can afford in this bucket of risk. How much risk should I take in this kind of investment? Not. It's a. It's a function of absolute value, not of yes or no. And it's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't turn make things binary. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a really awesome discussion. I'm really excited for the next conference. Um, I would love to go to one myself. Well, when when is the? Are they trying to do it annually or? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, the tip, during standard pre-COVID, there was multiple conferences. You know, San Francisco Blockchain yeah. Week. You know, Miami Bitcoin so Conference. Consensus, consensus, which is mostly Ethereum. DeFi. No, it's just Ethereum, but there's a lot of Bitcoin stuff. Sponsored by CoinDesk um, is in New York, and they do they do in California as well. So I, I think as things start to open up, um, there's going to be a lot more of these things. Mm-hmm. I I mean quote unquote was this was the biggest Bitcoin conference ever. Mm. And wow. I think it's just a function of demand, just un, yeah. unspent demand. There's yeah. just it's unbelievable. Gonna, it's going to get even bigger. See? Yeah. It's time yeah. will tell. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Again, this is CoinPod by Burency, sponsored by the number one crypto exchange in the Middle East. Uh, please like, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And we'll see you guys on the next episode.